Hey, smart mamas. Welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives. I want to be a nurse anesthetist. No topics are off limits. Relationships, finance, mental health, work. And we aren't sugarcoating anything. No way, hold way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Hey, Smart Mama. So 2020 has seriously been a game of Jumanji for us. But, you know, the one good thing that has come of this quarantine is that all of us have been stuck at home and actually paying attention to what goes on in the world around us. It's given us all the opportunity to see all the hate that exists in the world and the racism that's systemic in all of our institutions. Before we give you a synopsis of this podcast, we want to make sure that we publicly state we are 100% anti-racism and anti-hate in general. We do not support any kind of physical or verbal confrontations, either on social media or in person, that are aimed at singling out any person or group of people based on their race, their gender, their religion, or their political affiliations. We welcome you guys here as you are, and we will continue to fight for the freedoms and for the equality of all smart mamas and their loved ones. On this podcast, we talk to Lena Gold and Latanya Mims, who are two CRNA moms that have been tirelessly advocating for diversity within medicine for years. Crystal Lacey and I learned so much from this discussion, and it's definitely the first of many to come. They opened our eyes up to the history that we're taught in school versus the history that people of color know to be true. The mamas told us how they have experienced racism from the time they were young all the way through their anesthesia schooling and into their current careers. I cannot even believe that this is still happening in 2020. Lena and Latanya opened our eyes up to the fact that little to no people of color exist in the ICU, in anesthesia school, in the operating room, in the large number of nurse anesthesia chiefs in the U.S., and in the nurse anesthesia school programs. Even among Pennsylvania, Delaware, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Maine, and Rhode Island, there's only one program director of color, and that's Don Bent at the University of Pennsylvania. Stay tuned to find out how we can challenge the norm, how we can advocate for mankind, because what LaTanya stated was so true. She told us the fact that she has to remind us that she has a life and that it matters is a problem. This is a mankind issue, and we have to do better. Hey, smart mamas. Welcome back to another episode of Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. We're here with Lena and Latanya today, and they're going to be talking to us about some of the unrest that's been happening in our country lately and over the course of as long as our country has been around. And uh, we're really excited to have them on and uh, have them share their hearts and just kind of teach us and uh, be willing to share their experiences. So welcome, ladies. Hey. Thank you for having Hello. So I just want to start real quick, you guys. <clears throat> this, of course, came off the heels of the George, excuse me, Floyd murder. 
And when I asked you guys the other night what you felt about that, and I didn't say the name, I just said that. And you were like, which murder? Which one? Because apparently there's so many. And for myself, I, I was literally unaware. I mean, I had no idea. Of course, now I'm looking back and and doing my research, but I really didn't comprehend everything that was going on. And And something that kind of brought clarity to me recently with the whole Black Lives Movement was someone said, there's people that'll say, well, all lives matter, not just Black Lives Matter. You know, there's that camp. But then, so say your house is on fire. Okay. And the fire department's coming to put out your house that's on fire. And your neighbor's like, hey, well, what about my house? And you're like, yeah, but but my house is on fire. Let's have them put out my my house now. And they're like, but my house, my house is important too. It's like, yeah, your house is important. And we'll get to that if it catches on fire. But right now we need to put out the fire that's on my house. So basically Black Lives Matter is the fire. They're on fire right now, basically, is how that analogy worked for me. Did that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So Lena and Latanya, why don't you introduce yourselves and kind of, you know, tell our audience how we know you guys and, um, you know, kind of your, you're both very involved in the nurse anesthetist world in general, and then in diversity within the nurse anesthetist field. So just introduce yourselves and tell us kind of how we know you. Okay, I'm going to yield to uh, Latanya first. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so thank you so much. First, I want to tell you guys, thank you so much for having us here. This is such an important conversation I, to have. My name is Latanya Mims. I am a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I'm a CRNA. I'm a Woo-hoo! mom. Just like every you guys, uh, <laughs> I did the whole sippy cup. In fact, I am... Uh, in the process of kind of fostering or adopting with my parents, a four-year-old. We've had him since he was five months old, so I get it. Um, I've been a CRNA for about 16 and a half years now. Um, I live in, I'm from Louisiana. Currently right now I'm in Houston and I work between both cities and uh, two cities, two states, kind of live between two. And I'm very uh, passionate about, I I, I heard your analogy about Black Lives Matter, and I heard you. uh, I'm very passionate about just bringing awareness to issues of uh, inequity, injustice. Um, And sometimes, just like you said, Crystal, sometimes we just aren't aware. And which is why we need to have conversations. It's so many times We don't talk about things. Things are swept under the rug. So we have 20, 30 years to pass by and we never have these conversations. And so we want part of this uh, conversation is so that we all can be aware. This is not sympathy. This is not. This is just an awareness. Some of this stuff will never make a textbook. Some of this stuff has never made history uh, we basically are responsible for passing down this history. Like I just told y'all, my 91-year-old grandmother tells me so many things. And we are just honored to be able to have an honest conversation about uh, diversity. Diversity matters. Our lives look different, but our lives mean the same to us. You're important to you guys, and we're important to ourselves. And so we're, we're, uh, we just want to offer another perspective on how we can look at this and how we can actually, you know, live together, coexist together and respect each other differences. Well said. I love that. Mm-hmm. And Lena, what about Thank you? you? 
Well, okay. I uh, am a mother of three. I'm going to start with that. Okay. Um, but all of my, all of my children are, um, I didn't stack my kids. You know, my kids were, uh, are a little bit far apart. In fact, that I had, um, I was a single mother on welfare at right out of, right out of high school. I graduated in June. I had my son in December. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then 14 months later, my, you know, my mother had put me out. So I was homeless for three months with him. So, you know, and that was, the darkest time in my life, the darkest time in my life. So, you know, try to, you know, have that. And then you, you're trying to keep your child somewhat happy, making, making sure that it's kind of a normal day for him. So what I did was I spent my whole day in the public library with him. It was a free library card and I got free books every day. And he enjoyed playing with the kids at the library. And that's what I did for three straight months. And, um, and then we found housing three months later. Three months later after that, we, I enrolled in uh, undergraduate school because that wow. was my only way out. <laughs> yeah. You know? so, and it, wasn't the, it was there where I, um, later on I, had, uh, I, I met my husband, but it was like towards the, my, my sophomore, junior year. And uh, he graduated a year before me, but I wasn't a nursing major at that time. I was an accounting major. I wanted to do nursing at that time, but I didn't have a car to get to clinical because some of the clinical sites were out of the county. So I didn't have that access. So I had to find something else where I can go to school and provide for my son. So I went to school for accounting. And then um, that summer before my senior year, I, I interned at uh, Ernst & Young, uh, an accounting firm. So I did that. Um, after I graduated and worked for in New York City on Park Avenue, I just did not like it. After we got married, I went back to school for nursing. So, and that's what I wanted to do. But uh, it took me almost eight years before I found out about nurse anesthesia. And during that time, I wanted to um, um, go into the nurse anesthesia program. But uh, I found then I was going to school in Philadelphia and we had a, uh, what we called a, they don't have, they don't have this anymore. But back then it was 2002. They had what they called a shared curriculum with the, like four other nurse anesthesia programs. So we would literally all four cohorts together, we would go to each other's campuses, you know, uh, we went to Penn, we went to Drexel, we went to LaSalle, you know, and we would have all of our classes taught by the CRNAs, but we had this large room of all these students, but I noticed right away that there weren't any minority faculty. I I noticed right away that um, there were no, um, there were only maybe two or three, uh, nurse anesthesia students of color in each cohort. So we had to do a, pro- a project, a personal, I mean, a poster project that I have is right in my, um, office is, is framed. And, uh, I did a poster project on diversity in nurse anesthesia. So I, I got in contact with somebody from the AANA and they told, they actually sent me the statistics about the racial and the ethnic, uh, demographics of the CRNAs. And I, what I did was I polled all of the other nurse anesthesia students from each school because we were together all the time. And the, the graph on the left side of my poster and the graph on the right side of my poster, and that's the AANA profile of the demographics and the Philadelphia demographic mirrored each other. So I just wanted to do something. So basically what I did was I just started to give out information um, to nurses of color that wanted information before they went into the program. 
I, you know, unfortunately I witnessed a uh, nurse anesthesia student of color um, bail out too. So I wanted to try to help in that, in that light. But I didn't know the extent of what I was doing. I didn't even know when Art Swirling, who was, um, he was a program director at Penn, he was my mentor. And he was the one that told me to go to the ANA meeting and I did that. So um, it was from that time, that day when I went to Boston and I met on that first day, Goldie Bradman. On that day, she passed president of the AANA, the first and only black CRNA. So she was um, very instrumental. And so was he in shaping on what I needed to do or what I wanted to do for nurse anesthesia. But it's weird. They seen that energy in me and I didn't even know I, I had it, you know, and I had two phenomenal CRNA mentors, you know, and um, uh, I'll never forget them. Never forget them. But I didn't know it was going to turn from a poster project to a nonprofit organization. So, you know, I, I just love I love mentoring. I love developing relationships. And that's all diversity is, is just developing relationships with people. And uh, that's it. What a awesome story. I trained with Art. And oh. so I know him. And I know yeah. that you had two of the best mentors. But look at yeah. how full circle that came. Like, that's right. what you are to so many people now. Yeah, and yeah. so many people are, are able to say that about you, how much you've blessed their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, that's how I feel about them. I've heard at least at least 10 people say you are the Oprah of anesthesia. Like, yes. Queen. Yeah, but but you know, I, I, I tell you, I, I know I stand on both of their shoulders. So um, especially Goldie Bragman, who um, she started her own nurse anesthesia program in 1951 for 34 years, 36 years. And um, she actually went through the whole, you know, as program director, she had to go through teaching her students during the civil rights era, during the Jim Crow era. So I, I you know, I truly believe even though it was a different era, you know, her, 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 the obstacles that she had to go through, you know, even with her students, even the fact that she went up that ladder to become the ANA president is uh something to be i mean I, I don't know she to me she's she's somebody that i i admire significantly and she's she's she played a profound she, she's been very profound in my life and 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 that's why i think she basically passed that torch to me and um you know and i i, I appreciate and love her for that so how does it feel when you said you you will have a goal or an aspiration and you see people in that position like anesthesia and you don't see anyone that looks like you or you start the nursing program and you don't see anyone that looks like you. How does that make you feel and how how does that affect your performance, do you think? Well, you mean as a nurse anesthesia student of color going into mm-hmm. a program? Well, the thing is, you got you to understand, too, um, before we even um, applied to a nurse anesthesia program, for many of us working on a unit, sometimes we were the only nurse of color on the unit, you know. So it depends on where you came from before that. So we were sort of used to that, you know. Um, but the nurse anesthesia uh, students today that are going in the program, Basically, for many of them, and even in Philadelphia, I mean, there's only one. There's only one, and this is this is what I don't understand. There's only one nurse anesthesia faculty of color, not just in the state of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. right? And it's in Philadelphia at Penn. Dawn Ben, I love her. Love her. Shout out to um, Dawn. <laughs> yeah, I love Dawn. 
she's the only faculty of color in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Maine, wow. and Rhode Island. That wow. many state New York? How? Right. Right. Latanya, I see you shaking. Right. Latanya, I see you shaking your head here. Why don't you yes. weigh in on kind of your experience? Because you're shaking your head. Yes. Like you're the only person who looked like you in the ICU. And it seems like this has been something that's been ongoing throughout your entire career. Absolutely. Thank you. So let's just start there. So nursing school, went to a historically black university, uh, Grandland State University Nursing School. Even that surprisingly had a white dean, all white faculty except one at a black university because Dr. Smith started the program. But so this was the irony of that was uh, we had a basically 50-50 white and black because in Grambling there's a Monroe and Ruston. And so the white students, when it was convenient, would use that as their get into the HBCUs for and wouldn't go, you know, that was their get into the program. So I graduated from a historically black university. Uh, and of course, like always, we're told to go to the floor. Some people, there are so many things that I could just go on and on about, but there are certain nurses that are led to your first experience need to be IC, uh, med surge, uh, you know, take as many patients, the hardest patients, blah, 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 blah. And then there are some people that have the privilege of having, uh, uh, getting an ICU tech job. And their first job is in the ICU or the ER or the ER to set them up to the ICU or the step down to get them directly into the ICU. So that wasn't my story. I was a, a floor nurse. Um, but, but even in the ICU, that's, you. I worked in the PICU. There was one on day shift, one on night shift. Uh, black nurses. And what I've always done is I saw it as an opportunity to open the door for other people. So I specifically remember we're best friends still today. I talked to her today. Her name is Rosalind Caldwell, nurse pediatric nurse practitioner. I went to the floor. They were so shocked to see a black nurse in the PICU. So basically I started opening doors for other black nurses to come into the PICU because it was just an anomaly to just even see. And then all the units are historically 90, 95% white. So just to get out of the unit or to get into a unit is a miracle. And then the odds are even less. So how I, to get into the anesthesia program. So to get an anesthesia program, my story is a little interesting. I saw a nurse, nurse anesthetist, Denise Hintz, didn't know her from Adam's house cat. She came and brought a patient to me one day. I asked, you know, I had never even, I had heard of it in, in, in nursing school our senior year, but nothing to any regularity because I, I realized that she wasn't a doctor, but she was at the head of the bed. And she was giving me a report on this patient. So I kind of, and I, I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. So I started asking a question of mine and she told me what school she went to and this. And at this time there was no, there was paper application. There was no applying online and all that. So I got a piece of paper, wrote down everything she said. She said she went to Texas Westland. This is contact, uh, um, the secretary, I can, uh, her name, I want to say Denise, but that's not her name. Her name, um, she gave me the secretary's name. I called. I did exactly what she said. So basically, she, and she's a white female. I actually, that's how my story kind of evolved into nurse anesthesia school. Once I got there, Texas Wesleyan is one of the, is the largest, at that time was the largest, and I think it still is the largest anesthesia program in the United States. So out of about 121 of us, I think it was nine or eight or nine of us. But so um, how does that make you feel? 
it makes you feel um, it's it, very weird. So the study groups, you never get involved in them. You don't hear about the study papers. You don't, uh, these pl- people that are going to, I, I vividly remember, because at that time, we were probably the first pilot class that went the second year, uh, second semester where you can do, we used to call it distance learning. Well, now they can do a lot of stuff that we didn't have back then. Because remember, this is in 2000. So there wasn't as much technology, but we were like the first Texas Wesson class to do distance learning is what we called it. But uh, how they make you feel, you you always felt left out. And if you got with a black person, it you had to be careful with that because you didn't want to look, you were being too black with the, you know, because it's different when black people get together as opposed to when white people get together. It's, it's just different. So I, uh, it was a huge class. It was no black faculty at all. You just feel like you're always, every day is a swim for just to keep your head above the water. Even if you felt overwhelmed, you know, mind you, everything is progressed. So like the, everybody, we had old cell phones. It was different than 20 years ago, but it just, you always felt alone. You always felt like you were studying alone. Or if you got lucky enough to hear about a study group, because we had a law library, you would got lucky enough to hear about it. But those are the kinds of things that really existed. And it was almost like, I didn't, you know, when you, when people see each other and they feel like they have things in common, they immediately like kind of click. Well, when people of their colors see each other, they just kind of feel like they have like, come, we're here for you. So if you imagine nine out of 120 you can imagine how you always felt or maybe try to imagine how we, you always felt. And so that progressed. And then when you get to clinicals, there's nobody that looks like you. There's no CRNAs. I actually think that we were fortunate because there was uh, one that, a two, that was one left, but one that, and she's still in the system now. She basically saved my life, which is part of the reason why I still am so passionate about opening doors for people. Her name is Amanda Bilbo. She basically, I remember one day I was having an anxiety attack. I didn't know what that was. I definitely was experienced PTSD from anesthesia school. Still to this day, I still deal with it. But I didn't know what was happening with me. I was tachycardic. She took me to the recovery room, couldn't tell anybody. My blood pressure was 200, so over 107 or 117. And I just I, I just could not function. It was just overwhelming. So with all the stresses of anesthesia, school, clinicals, you have to deal with secretly being not okay because uh, you might walk in the break room and they're talking about you. I remember the one guy who now is my colleague and it's funny when I see their faces. Well, I guess she's okay. She might not be the sharpest tool in the toolbox, but uh, she seems like she's going to be okay. Those are the kinds of conversations that you walk in on. You come early. Again, like I said, and I will never take it back. I was doing more call than anybody. I did uh, my classmates was going hunting and fishing with the co- with the uh, employees, even with our clinical instructor. It was just a mess. So you always felt, I always did more extra call, all this extra, we were at a liver, lung place, always all this extra call. It was, but who are you going to tell? What are you going to say? Who do you run to? I mean, and then it was known, but what are you going to say? So it was, it was, it was a very uncomfortable every day. In fact, I'm tachycardic talking about it because mm-hmm. it triggers something in me 
even to 20 years later, it's still. And so I committed myself when I finally, gra- even the graduation party, we had it at what some CRNA's house, they were a couple. It was so disrespectful how they even did the graduation party, how they called us certain names. And then my name was something, something. It, w- it just made me uncomfortable, the whole thing. But remember, we're in the South, so so many things get laughed at and joked at, and it's just inappropriate and sensitive. Um, and so I- Latanya, yes, let me, let me ask, do, you know, you're talking about the call and, and, you know, for our audience, we, we've talked to Latanya and Lena and, and several other, um, CRNAs, uh, of color recently. And so we're kind of referring to some of those conversations, but, you know, when you talked, when you, you were talking about like getting more call and, and so like that, do you think your white classmates even noticed, or do you think it was something that like, like they just assumed it was equal. And so they just did, it didn't even like occur to them that it could not be equal or was like, do you think they even noticed or do you think it was just, they were oblivious? You know, that's a good question question. I don't really know, but I do know that we all saw, because back then nothing was on the computer, none of this savvy, you know, check your computer for the links. We all had a piece of paper that was called. Every Everybody had a piece of paper that was called. So you actually, we all saw the same thing. Now, whether I don't know if they did. And mind you, I also had two small kids. One of my children was, a, I don't, I was an adopted child from PICU. He actually had surgery at that hospital. No kind of concession to that. Um, but we would have certain people that would have get pregnant and they would get these leave early days. And so I don't know. To speak of what they, um, to speak of what they understood, I really don't know. Because it's, again, it's one of those things. If they talked about it, they weren't talking about it with me, right? So if they did talk about it or if they did notice no one. And so this is why this is important. Remember on the last conversation, we need to speak up when we see things like this happening, which is why while I'm a nurse anesthetist, I always speak up and I will always speak up. And I committed myself when I graduated. That was one thing. Even now I have nursing, nurse anesthesia students inbox me. They there's in the same stuff is still going on in anesthesia USA. The people that said they love patients and they'll do anything and we take and we're going to provide the best care. The same exact stuff is happening because students inbox me weekly about how to navigate. We always got to figure out how to navigate and not step on any toes and and suffer in silence. And this person is trapping me. And how do I do about this? And I gave the same answer this person gave in clinicals, but the instructor don't accept my answer, but my friends answer. So. And there are people that know that this is not right, but no one speaks up. So we need to see something and say something. And we got to start to become more. We just got to be more advocates for each other, for mankind. Remember, this is a mankind issue. Mm-hmm. We just have black mankind and you're white mankind. But we really need to do better with this because, um, tw- you know, 20 years later, I have to stand beside you, go to a and meeting with you. And now we're professional colleagues, but I will never forget how you treated me. I will never forget the the hurt, the the sheer just disbelief of things that was said and done in my presence. And but who's going to do it? It becomes the brunt of all the jokes, and it, it's just inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And there are people that have told me secretly, "Man, I can't believe they said that in front of you." Or, or in the break room, I can't believe they kept saying that, even though you were in there. But you're a student, 
sitting by yourself, what do you say? Mm-hmm. You you just or you act like you're not listening or you act like it's not uh, happening, but you know it's happening in real time. It's happening, and of course, it affects how you feel. It affects how you function. It affects how you see yourself. In fact, it even calls into question: Are you good enough? See all this stuff. The same stuff. Like going through an abusive relationship. We so all of us have had that, especially women. We can we can get on a common level. Imagine abusive men, how that play on your psyche. Am I boobs big enough? Am I good enough on my lips? I mean, what, I mean, do, am I tall enough, thin enough? All of the stuff that play on your psyche or our psyche as women, and we can understand that. Imagine being a student. And mind you, I'm not just a student. I'm a nurse. That, that's another thing that really needs to soak in for us. We are all ICU nurses. This is not like we're uh, working at the grocery store. Not that anything is wrong with that. But we're talking about uh, we have we have passed minimal competencies. We have gone through interviews. We have put in our two years. Mm-hmm. We have done the things that's asked and required just to get in. So imagine how that plays on your psyche. So I wish I could say uh, nursing school. I mean, nurse anesthesia school did not bother me, but it was it was treacherous. And it was who you're going to call, who you're going to who you're going to talk to, what instructor, what advisor. Who, call back to the school and say what that is going to be your word against the clinical instructor's word or did you doc, do you have every day can mm-hmm. you document something every day or do you look like the troublemaker when you tell them things that are happening to you because you're you're perceived it's a perception that because you're identifying bringing something to someone's attention you're the troublemaker so all of these things and really at the end of the day all I want to do is finish anesthesia school I want to go right. home to my family and I want to finish anesthesia school. Like everyone else. Like everybody else. To change yeah. my standard of living, to be able to take care of patients on a different level, to be able to serve in a different capacity, to be able to be a leadership in the field of nursing. I want to do just what you want to do. But sometimes the road, and this is not just to me, you want to phone with 20 other people. We all have these stories yeah. that keep resurfacing. So that's what I want to say. I have a, you know, it was funny. I was just going to ask you do you think this is something that is still going on today? And you just told me that people are still reaching out to you about this all the time. And I know Lena has something to say either about that or something close. And then about once that. she, yeah, about what? that. And then I have a question for you guys. Okay. Well, before you Lena, one thing I just significant, I didn't realize till later, but while we're on that call and I won't say which one, but one of the nurses who nurse anesthetist now, while she was in nurse anesthesia school, reached out to me about this very same thing. And she was on the call with us last week. That's and, how- you know, I feel ignorant even saying that to you. Like, does this still happen? Because that's the example right there of the okay. white it privilege that everyone speaks of. Um, right. And I don't mean for it to come off ignorant. I truly just was wondering, does it still happen? Because I don't know of it. You know, when when I was in school, we had a couple of black females or yeah, I don't think any males in our class. And then, um, you know, like I told you, I work with a lot, but I might just not know or pick up on it or maybe not see it because we don't work together. You know, as CRNAs, we don't ever see each other in interactions with patients or with other coworkers. So I only see me in my room. Um, but now I'm wondering, you know, does that ever happen to them? And do they feel like I've ever not stood up for them? If I, but I've just not seen it. So it was interesting for me to hear you say that, that it's still happening today. And Lena had something to say about that too. 
Yeah, I, I just want to um, basically, uh, first of all, it, it is continuing to happen. It's been happening for decades, decades, right? So what she, what Latanya just described to you is two things. One is that there is major social isolation that, that goes on with um, nurse anesthesia students of color when they go into a program, whether it's in class or whether it's in clinical. Right. So here you are, you, you're being taught basics of anesthesia, regional anesthesia, OB anesthesia. Most of the faculty are white. Um, then you go to clinical. Um, you're stepping in clinical. You rarely see someone of CRNA of color. There's no chief CRNA of color most times at, at these sites. And there's no clinical coordinators that are of color as well, too. So, you, you know, you, you, you're walking into a situation where there's no one that you can uh, personally identify with. Another thing that um, Latani was, was talking about too, like the comments that are made to you, they're called like microaggressions or macroaggressions. So this, this happens continually throughout the program. So if I say to Tanya, you know, basically there's, and she went to school in Texas. I went to school in Philly. This happens across the country. Right. And it's basically we already know, you know, you went to the program. There was one standard for us of color. There's two. So when we go to clinical, we have to arrive early. We have to leave late. You know, everybody else marching out the door at three o'clock. But, you know, the one of color will be noticed if they walk out at three. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's sort of like you can't do something like that. You know, because why? Because those microaggressions and macroaggressions that are being said to you continuously throughout the day in clinical, the break room, sometimes they get on those personal statements, too. And if you ever read the personal statement, I mean, not the personal statements, the clinical evaluations, which are subjective evaluations. If you ever pull an evaluation from a nurse anesthesia student of color versus somebody else that's, that's white in the program, they went to the same clinical sites, you will see more comments from a nurse anesthesia student of color. More comments, okay? So there's, there's a lot of things that we experience in addition to training to become nurse anesthetists. So there, there are, there's a lot of issues that I think that nurse anesthesia programs are struggling with right now. And especially of what just happened just a couple of weeks ago, what just happened a couple of weeks ago, is something that we knew was going on all the time. You know, there's a lot of structural racism. There's a lot of um, um, disparities that 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 um, that we've already known about. But be, it was because of structural racism. It's sort of like an, you know, it's a circle. So, you know, it's a vicious circle. Right. But it's just a couple of weeks ago, for some reason, you know, it seemed like white America just woke up, woke up. Said, yeah, said, you know, oh, my God, you notice what's going on. It's yeah. been going on. Dr. Jones, who we interviewed on here, um, she's a uh, black female anesthesiologist who I work with. I told you about her. She was just telling me today. She said, you know, because of the pandemic and everyone sitting at home, she said white people had the time to sit down and look around at what was happening. And they woke up and were like, what is this actual real life? Like, is this happening? And meanwhile, you were just telling us. This happens all the time. That is not the first video or the first instance of that. You guys knew of plenty, whereas the rest of us are like, what is going on? But my question to you, and this is, do you think that there are less 
black nurses in general because they are intimidated to go into the field because of all of this or are like where is the disparity happening that they're the black nurses are not in the ICUs that they're not you know in CRNA school is it because there are less black nurses because of the culture of nursing they feel a certain way coming into nursing or is it because they um, are scared of applying or are they not getting accepted? Where is that disparity happening? Why are there not more? And in Philly, I mean, that is crazy to think right. about. So, so I, I want so Tanya, let me, Tanya, let me just, let me just say this real quick and then I'm gonna let you go. The, the there are, you got to understand when I went into the nurse Institute, when I went to undergrad, I was first generation. Okay. First generation to go to school then, and I went to a majority school. I didn't go to an HBCU. At HBCUs, the nurses that went to nurse anesthesia program, over almost over half of the black nurse anesthetists went to HBCUs, right? Yes. But at schools of nursing and HBCUs and historically in uh, um, Hispanic serving institutions, schools of nursing, there's no exposure to nurse anesthesia. No one's promoting nurse anesthesia. There's no CRNA faculty there. Okay, so so you have that problem. You find out later as a nurse of color about the nurse anesthesia profession and you sort of find out in a more fragmented way. Right. So you try you find out some information here. You find out some information here. You kind of figure it out on your own. You got to navigate a lot of this information, especially when me and Latanya went back. We were in school. A lot of this information was either somebody finally shared the information with us. Well, we found out about it on our own, right? So it starts it, at the bottom. It, it starts there, but then is the gatekeepers, right? You got the nurse anesthesia program directors. Mm-hmm. So they're the ones that got to make that decision if they're going to have a diverse cohort or not. And also what contributes to that low number is the GREs, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that, the well, the GREs to me, I, I you know, is something is racially biased anyway. But the thing is, is that, and I did a presentation at one. Um, I did a presentation at one of the state associations, and I remember I had the um, slide up where I listed the programs in the Northeast area. There were four schools at the top that did not accept, did not require the GREs. Four schools at the bottom that did. The four schools that didn't had the most diverse uh, cohort. This, this four schools that did had the least. Wait, what? What are GREs? You know, the, the exam you have to take, the graduate exam. Did I get into anesthesia school? You probably did. <laughs> I don't remember. Not all schools require it, but yeah, GRE. And it's it's another standardized test. Well, let me tell it all. Standardized testing is just a weed not process anyway. I mean, even from when they started with the graduating from eighth grade to for fifth grade, from fourth grade and all of that stuff. There's statistics. This is not me. This There's statistical information about standardized testing and how it's presented. But I want to answer your question. Uh, I think that if we're going to have real conversation, we need to go, we need to not start at nurse anesthesia. Yeah. But we need to deal with systemic institutional racism. Yeah. When you talk about poverty, the reason why Relena's story is important about poverty is because we're, your income determines what high school, what junior high school you go to. And so those schools depend on funds, whether you get 
decent textbooks or any textbooks. Remember, we used to do textbooks. I'm sure they do iPads and all that stuff now. But remember, let's just, I'm going to just, what, when we went to school. Mm-hmm. So the disparity is, is so built in. And, and all of this stuff, if we're not careful, we'll just assume that this is American. Because this is, it's almost like this is the American way. Like, could you imagine Jewish kids going to school uh, to Adolf Hitler University? Mm. Well, how about me going to Robert E. Lee University? So mm. it's almost like it has been just, we, we, we have, we've, and not only are we desensitized, but it's expected for me to not be aware. So let's not start at nurse anesthesia. We're going to start at these high schools and junior high schools. And so if you don't even perform well enough or even think that you're good enough or you even are in a situation where things are basic things, because I know you think that all high schools teach the same thing. That's not true. Where there are low performing, low economic standards, everything is substandard from the food they eat to the classrooms they go to, to the bathrooms, to the security. So when you're talking about even just getting to a nursing program, forget that. When you're talking about just getting to college, it is that's a huge step. Because remember, we just started having these opportunities 50 years ago. Like, it, I know it's hard to understand, but some of the things that we've been privileged to just kind of walk into hasn't always been available. And I just want to give you all a, I mean, I just heard it today. Like the history is so warped that most Americans don't even know how befitting this conversation is June 18th, what June 19th is and what that signifies for black America or black people. And it's, it's amazing to me. We know about the war of 1812. We know about all this other history stuff, but it's no coincidence that we are so intelligent and so unlearned at the same time. There are selective things about history that we just don't know, or we just haven't been informed about. It's not in every textbook. Cause I remember, I don't know about y'all, but I remember history and you hear about those same geography points. And I know I could have learned some more. Just, it's just like, we never learned how to balance a checkbook in school, but we kept hearing the same stuff over and over again. So it's almost like a whole forgotten people, which is why you have to even say stuff like Black Lives Matter. The fact that I have to explain to you that I have a life and it matters is a problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that's so powerful. That, yeah. that's, that's, that's a problem. And we're a one, you know, all the God stuff and under God and, you know, and all that stuff that we say. So it's unfortunate but we need to start, but we're starting at the nurse anesthesia conversation as moms, but really, so for people to understand and stop saying stuff like we hear the most idiotic things when I say uh, we're working with diversity and I know Lena's not on that other page that is so disgusting. It's just, I, I'm on there, but I hardly ever see it. I don't know about the algorithms, but the, it's, it, they always uh, imply, or actually some of them are bold enough to say the reason why we basically met a number. That's how we got an anesthesia school. See, mm-hmm. those things are just so idiotic. I mean, because you're a cocaine. I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff. Beat your wife, cheat on your wife, sleep with the director. I mean, this kind of stuff happens. Sleep with the program, sleep with people. All this crap 
people do and they succeed and get on through. But because I'm there, I had to meet some sort of diversity number, which is disgusting all by itself. But so we're still there. We're still having to prove that we deserve to be able to have a chance to be in the field of anesthesia just to provide the service because I'm really there because I deserve to be there and I'm willing to work hard and I have worked hard, not just because they met a quota. And so there's so many systemic things that are in this, that are just inbred that we just have become numb to. We just, we just call, we, we don't even think maybe the pandemic was a good thinking tool, but we've just become so just complicit, just whatever. We don't think about anything like, I mean, who, who, like a whole period called slavery, 400 years, all this, and people don't address it. I sent you guys both the whole article about nigger baby. Had y'all ever heard of that? No. No, that was hard. That was disgusting. My grandmother was was born, but it's disgusting, but it's real. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm sure. It's horrifying. You have your black baby, this in that whole ancient mama, the whole taking care of someone you're good enough to breastfeed her baby on the right. And, 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 and mind you, there's so much stuff that's just left out of history. Like how did we ever start wondering? How did we get mixing of people? Did somebody go sleep with my grandmother? I always ask them that. Cause somebody, we, we it's like we selectively decide what we're going to look at, what we're going to consider. And it's so unfair. So all of this have a lot to do with how we get to where we are. And I know it just, so many times it seemed like, oh, it didn't take all that. Yes, it take all this and more. We really don't yes. do enough in this vein because we have become insensitive to each other. And so now it becomes my job to say, no, 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 I really am good enough. No, 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 give me a chance. No, 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 I really want to work with you. No, 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 uh, I, I want to do this. And it's, it's a system that has been set up that until we start having these real conversation and, and actually even uh, calling on the carpet, how is this okay? Because we can't just keep going along with Lily White anesthesia programs, Lily White directors. We just cannot. And that's mm-hmm. why I addressed it. I'm finally glad that the ANA has the diversity ball and they actually have diversity, more black speakers at the ANA. But we have to have other voices, everything. We cannot think that the only people that can teach us is white men. We can't. Yes. Think Amen. That. We Amen cannot that. only people in anesthesia have any sense are white men, whether they're CRNAs or anesthesiologists. Yes. We all know that's a joke. Like yeah. <laughs> moms, CRNA moms. But, but Latanya, was it you that you, go ahead? Was it you that was at the diversity meeting and there were I don't know, 20 of you, I think. And some lady came back in to get her purse or bag. No, it was Kaya. She was there, there, but it was Kaya telling the story, right? Yeah. Um, I, this was, it was good that you brought up the diversity program because I want you guys to speak about that. And I want to talk to wrap up our podcast tonight, really giving that the platform that it needs, because truthfully, I knew Lena ran a diversity program briefly. But I did not know the gravity of it. And I really can honestly, very confidently say that probably the majority of our profession has no idea of the power of it and the goals of it and what it has done. So can you guys speak to that, please? Just wrap us up with what it is, how it came to be, um, so we can really highlight it on this episode and make sure that people 
you know, put the eyes on it that it deserves. Well, I, I just want to say this, that um, as the founder of the Diversity Nurse Anesthesia Mentorship Program, again, it started as a result of the poster project. And then the information sessions were that were informal and it was all by word of mouth turned into a nonprofit. So since that time, I've held um, diversity, they're called diversity CRNA information sessions and airway workshops. So we, it's a weekend long event. I will go to selected programs like Duke University, University of Miami, Columbia, um, Texas Christian University. And it's for nurses, uh, diverse nurses who are interested in going to nurse anesthesia. Most of them are first generation nurses that went to college. So they want to find out about nurse anesthesia before we, they go into the program. So I invite four program directors and they talk about their respective programs. We'll have a CRNA panel of diverse uh, panelists, whether they're um, from the uh, military, whether they only own anesthesia services, faculty, someone that's newly credentialed, something like that. Then it's then SRNA uh, panelists from different nurse anesthesia programs. And they talk about their own experiences. And these are SRNAs of color that are talking about being a, a, a parent in the program, you know, how do, how do they balance family and finances before, you know, before they went in and before and, and during the program, you know, how, how are they, how, you know, what are they doing to make themselves uh, competitive before they went into the program? How are they doing to be excellent nurse anesthesia care providers? But as a result of doing 45 of those events, 45 and 15 years, we've had over, we successfully uh, mentored over 510 nurses of color to get into 74 graduate nurse anesthesia programs. Wow. To, to the, the point of um, Latanya when she was talking about the HBCUs, and I knew that this was a problem. Five or six years, five years ago, I wrote a grant for the NBCRNA to see if they can help us uh, with uh, funding so we can expand the program. So I, we ended up buying our own anesthesia equipment, and we started to go to HBCU, schools of nursing, his uh, Hispanic serving institution, schools of nursing, CRNAs, maybe 12 or 14 of us from different states. We will all go to the same school. We'll bring the anesthesia equipment. We talk about nurse anesthesia because, again, we knew in nursing school that no one that looked like me came there. So we've been to maybe seven or eight schools so far. Right. And that, I think, is going to uh, actually change the career trajectory as a result. And as a result of doing all of this, not only have they become CRNAs, they are now becoming chief CRNAs. They are now becoming clinical coordinators, faculty. Um, they're in the military. They, they are getting their PhDs. They're getting all different types of doctorates now. So for me, it's not about just changing the face of anesthesia. It's just changing the culture. But that takes time. That's so powerful. Yeah. Love it. When we, when we initially reached out to you, we wanted to kind of say, okay, we're, we're woke. And what can we do? What can we do as white CRNAs to help our black CRNAs? What yes. can we do? do you want to? Well, first I want to say this. The three of you guys, I, I have this special attraction I really have a lot of gratitude. I've been thinking about this since we got off the phone the other night. I have a lot of gratitude for what you guys have even attempted to do because these are conversations that are so far and few between. To initiate it, I have a lot of gratitude, respect, and appreciation for what you guys are even trying to do. And believe me, pioneers of all movements, they usually have the harder, pow- harder fields to plow 
But the bolder you stand, the bolder we stand, the bolder we stand together, the more light bulbs come on and we have to check ourselves. So for that, I want to say thank you. Thank you all so much just for even caring enough to say, what can we do? How can we use our platform to bring in an awareness? And what I want, and being honest, I just don't know. I wasn't even sensitive. I didn't even, I mean, one, the, I can't think of it. Lacey, I think, said there's no black person in our whole, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, her mean, whole town. It's probably like, she's probably like, what? Okay, well, that. Y- there, there are some somewhere people of color. We have some diversity in my city. That's just not in my workplace as much as it yeah. should be. And this is not to, this is just conversation. Like put the, everybody put your rocks down, but let's talk so that we can heal. Let's talk so we can help each other. And more important, let's talk so our children won't have to, they, we can make things better. And that's the whole yes. goal of we want to become progressive and we want to leave things better than what we talk about the Martin Luther Kings and the Thomas Jefferson, all these pioneers, but let's be, we can be that for the next set of people coming. And mm-hmm. so I just want to tell y'all, thank you for that. And I forgot the question that you asked about. HBC. Thank you. Oh my God. I love you. You said that so beautifully and you made me cry, which isn't hard to do, but I did just cry. <laughs> no, I really mean it. It, it is not hard to do for <laughs> Crystal. Poor Crystal. She just has a box of Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> allies we need i want to be able to call and say hey i know somebody in pennsylvania that you can go and see or shadow we yes. need so my contribution to i love diversity so when i met lena I just fell in love with i remember the day i met her in person amazing woman i immediately just realized that the spirit just humble you she's not even giving you the real goods i mean she just a lot selfless sacrifice do so many things so much giving to the students, scholarships, her time. She fly places. She goes see about them personally. It's so many things that she just, I, I could go on and on. And in fact, I was going to do it at uh, A&A this year, but we didn't have it. It's just selfless sacrifice. I, and her whole family is involved. I just cannot speak on it. But diversity is such an important thing. And I want everybody, your listeners to know, diversity is not just black and brown people. The diversity that Lena fosters, white people are there. White instructors are there. White CRNAs are there. White student, white nurses who want to do anesthesia. So it's open to everybody. LGBT. But, um, it LGBT. is. I'm sorry. The LGBT community also. Yes. The, oh, lots of LGBT community because it gets down to the, these discriminatory practices and and we just we want to. We want to. We want it to be our responsibility to get the information out to the masses, and whosoever will let them come. Whoever wants to join us in this uh, our amazing profession, because we're blessed to be able to put people to sleep, wake them up safely every single day. And we, whoever we can share this with, and Lena has done a beautiful job. I love serving her um, her nonprofit because it is so. It's just amazing, and the results always getting people in. I get so many messages. I just got in. I'm so excited. Mm. And even when they get in, we help them along the way, the study and the how to get past this study habits. It's just so many things. So diversity does matter in her platform, diversity, www.diversitycrna.org. If you haven't yes. been there, go to the website. Um, you can be a contributor. 
but they have a, there's a newsletter and it's just so much valuable information. And like always, if you stick and stay with things, people will start. And there are more and more people that are becoming aware and becoming. And now also, I want to tell you all this. At the A&A meeting we just up in 2019, there were white people standing up. We were in a diversity. Asia did a talk. And they were like, listen, this has happened. What they're saying happened. It's real. This happens. I just don't know. Uh, clinical, we remember the clinical instructions like, I've heard this happen. We just don't know how to address it. So these things are important. These things are real. This is not a figment of someone's imagination. We actually had a real live discussion, very fruitful discussion at the ANA meeting in 2019 about these very same things. And people want to get involved. They want to speak up. They were, they were in babies. Basically they want to know what can, how equip me as to what to say, because they, it's like, it don't really affect me, but it does bother me. So what can we do? So we want to just, I just want to tell you all of y'all voices and all the ladies and moms on this, on this call, all of our voices together can make a huge impact in just making life better for each other. Yes. Thank you. Who wants to wrap us up? I'm the awfulest wrapper up. No, you're a good wrapper upper. (laughs) No, not right now. I'm not. We haven't done this in so long. What have you guys learned? Oh, I love this. That's Can we get Latanya on this podcast every time she like wraps up, she intros. <laughs> I'm just gonna come here and listen to you. Yeah, yeah. We need diversity <laughs> in our podcast too. I mean, yes. Here's what I learned. I'll tell you. I learned that although I think my eyes are wide open, there is still so much work to be done. And simply just by looking around, asking more questions, speaking up even when I don't have the right words to say, um, that is what I've learned is really start to take a look around and stop being so naive and thinking that, oh, the world is good. Like everything's good. Everything's turning around and, and really just try to look at the world. You know, for a moment when you were speaking, I pictured myself in the opposite. If everywhere I went, I was the only white woman. And if everything someone said to me, was degrading to me. How would I feel? And although I'm strong and although I have very thick skin, I can 1000% understand how quickly it destroys your self-confidence and how quickly that affects your progression through life. So I want to apologize for not understanding that before and never taking the time to put myself into those shoes because doing that made me realize um, how much work we do have to do and how closed my eyes have been, even though I have thought that they've been wide open. There are some really good books that have been brought to our attention um, that we can share in the show notes. I just ordered three on um, Audible. I haven't started them yet, but they're, um, you know, to kind of open our eyes to what the history and where, how we got to where we are and, and how we can do better. If I could recommend a book, uh, Medical Apartheid. Yes, is good, medical apartheid, and um, the you you ever heard of Henrietta Lacks? The story about her? No, no. Okay, that I think that's a book that uh, nurse anesthesia students should be learning anyway about her. Uh, I, I I can actually uh, I'll post it on the CRNA Mom Facebook, and page. we're gonna link all these things for our listeners too. Um, yeah, I I got how to be an anti racist blind spot and. Right. There's one more. And we'll also share some books for kids too. 
And if you haven't read it, Becoming Michelle Obama, that's a really good book. That's a very good book. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, and even the video uh, that she was just in around a couple of weeks ago was awesome. Yeah. It was called Becoming. I love her. Yeah, Netflix, I think. Yeah, but Lacey, the Immortal you- Life, the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. That's mm-hmm. a good. Thank you. Lacey, do you want to share yours before we wrap up for good? Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, and I want Crystal to share kind of like what what you've learned in this um, also. But, you know, I think for me, just listening to the conversations happening around me and realizing that like we're we are like people in my life aren't as far as I thought that they were. And, you know, there's still some, you know, I guess ignorance maybe that is there in people around me that I I hadn't necessarily noticed before. And so like I made a post on my Facebook page about How to be anti-racist. Um, yeah, well, it was basically like, it's that- not enough to just right. not be racist. It's you should strive to be anti-racist. And basically what that means to me is, you know, if you see something wrong, say something. If you, you know, like speak up and just like if we saw somebody picking on a kid with Down syndrome, it would be wrong for us to not intervene. It's wrong to not intervene in this situation too. And a bunch of people commented throughout various like family, friends, throughout people throughout various aspects of my life commented and they made it about themselves. And it was like, well, am I a racist if all my friends are white and we just don't live in a town with diversity? And I was like, it's not about you. It's just like, if you see something wrong, say it. If you see something that doesn't make sense, say, so, you know, speak up and don't be afraid to speak up. And it's not enough to just say, well, I don't participate, but it's just becoming someone who says, no, this isn't right. Just like you would if you saw a suspicious you know, package in an airport somebody discriminating against. Yeah. Or if you saw somebody discriminating against a blind person or, you know, like somebody who has like a well, disability. Being and black so isn't a disability. It's yeah. just a- <laughs> Almost no, and I'm not saying that it, at all. Sometimes yeah. it's almost like having one. And unfortunately, so people who make it about them, it's so unfortunate because that's what has been fostered and that's been okay. And we've been winking on that. But she just don't know. And and but we live in a global world. It's 2020. Mm-hmm. You don't we don't have to live in China to know what's going on in China. We don't live in India to know what's going on in India. And you mean to tell me we don't know, we don't understand from Louisiana to Pennsylvania? Are you kidding me? So right. we, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's no excuse. We are aware and just bringing an awareness. Uh, uh, no, you're not racist because you don't have white friends. That's not what racism is. And I think we've also minimized that. I need, I got a good definition. I, we need to work on what we, because it, it becomes minimized. And then once it gets minimized, it makes people feel good to attack it. Cause it's so, it's so small and so yes. thoughtless what it, you know, it's not because we, and you're not, you're don't, and you don't like black people cause you got an Oprah Winfrey friend or because you talk to Lena and she's over diversity. That doesn't mean you're not racist. <laughs> that doesn't mean that. So it's, it's bigger than that. It's institutions. It's a whole lot of things that's inbred in us. And the fact that they would attack your posts like that, cause I have black and listen, there's a lot of pain. 
I'm expressive. I'm, I, I'm not hurting. But I'm just talking. But there are a lot of pain within people that when they see things and they have just been done wrong for so long, there is a lot of hurt there. But you ought to be able to to be able to evolve. Aren't we? We need to be able to be able to evolve without somebody attacking, saying, "Am I this because of that?" No, you're not. You're this because of what you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. Thank you, Latanya. So, and I just want to, I just want to clarify my statement about, you know, talking about disabilities is because that was the only way that I could, in my mind, like equate it, like it, like nobody would think that it's okay if you just stood by and, 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 and let called, this happen to racism. one group of it's people, but then to, now we're so, going to just yeah. stand by and let this happen to yeah, a because dis- they're at a distance. Dis- like, it's I'm not, not a disability, but say- they are at a disadvantage. Yes. No. Um, people with disabilities are yes. at a disadvantage. They are not at the same level. And like somebody said last time, it's like, who was I listening to? Oh, it was a, it was a um, great uh, podcast talking about how it's like giving somebody a head start. White people are given a head start in life. Mm-hmm. And just because the black community is also allowed to run in the race, does not make it an equal race because the white people got a head start for years. Mm-hmm. And so there's a really good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's what, that's what it is. It's not because it's a disability, it's a disadvantage. And that's where mm-hmm. I see the similarity because someone who has people. some sort of disability has a disadvantage children, in terms yeah. of succeeding in life, the way that somebody else of their same age or, you know, whatever would, and the black community is at a disadvantage. And right now the disadvantage is coming to light. And Could you imagine your whole like that. the entire city of Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma was burnt all the doctors off it. Could you imagine somebody burning your whole the whole city of what we call Black Wall Street? The, it, could you imagine that? Just totally burned down, totally. Every business owner. Could you imagine? And kill three, right? All businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tomorrow's Juneteenth. So I think this is happening at a very good time. This conversation that we're starting is happening at a perfect time to move forward. And Crystal, did you want to say your, your, uh, I'd like to share what I've learned is I've never, and hand to God, never been racist. So I thought, well, I'm not the problem. You know, I'm not racist. I have black friends. And then this happened. I'm like, shit, that's not good enough. You know, if you do need to be anti-racist, you need to put in the effort. You need to do the work. You need to educate yourself. There's so much of this history that I am just zero clue about. And I had a long, long conversation with my husband and I got him to we need to learn more and we're going to sit down we're going to watch documentaries and we're going to learn about the black history that we are literally clueless about, but it's not enough to just not be racist. You need to be anti-racist. That's what I've learned. Well, ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there any, you know, closing thoughts that you guys want to say before we wrap up here? Well, can we ask you guys, what do you use a Mac or a Miller? Yes. Oh All yeah. We got to ask you. Okay. So, long so- we forgot our questions. I know. Yeah, we forgot we even had quite I forgot we even had questions. So, okay, first of all, you're what are you binging on right now? Netflix, reading, you know, stuff like that. What what are you binging right now? 
What are you watching? Uh, and Netflix. what on Netflix? Netflix. Um, you know what? There's a good movie. Nikanya, did you see it? It's called The Five. The Five. Di- oh, shoot. Oh, man. It was a great movie what? that just came on uh, Netflix. It was The Five Brothers what? or something like that. The Five. The Five. I think I just it saw was, The Five Bloods. Just saw it. The Five Bloods. So, so good. The movie was so good. You got to see that. So was I that think, your husband um, for the win? You know, oh, you see that. I yeah. Think, no, is he I creeping on us a, right now? I've never been married. I don't <laughs> Who is that? A, your son? Oh. No, and I don't actually have any biological yeah. children either. My son, I adopted at three as a patient from the PICU, but you wouldn't know it because I love him. I don't know any different. He's 25 now. Wow. And I've taken, I have nine godchildren, So I have lots of kids I yeah. take care of from infantry, but I don't have any biological children but I'm passionate about human life. Biological but, is not always the answer, yeah. but who was the person talking to us is what we want to know. Who's yeah. the person over there? Oh, his name is David. <laughs> hey, David. Hey, David. <laughs> he said, hey. Is right, he shy? So, uh, That's cute. Yes, I am very shy. And um, very, uh, yes. So it's funny, but I am shy, but y'all would know it. But um, so uh, I'm not, can you believe I'm not a big TV person? I am a news watcher, but I did like the banker. Um, So like the whole, I don't have a Netflix account. I don't have like all that technology stuff like that. So I usually just kind of watch what everybody else is watching. So I have been watching, um, I watched the banker, but I think I started watching that five and now I have to go finish it, Lena. What is David watching? David, tell us what you're watching. Uh, Since Latanya's not watching he, anything. He is a TV guru. She watches what David watches. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and also, <laughs> I have a four-year-old. So we've had him since he's five months old. So Paw Patrol is my favorite. Uh, oh, yes. Day, uh, month, <laughs> yes, so Paw Patrol. We're going back to Tom and Jerry, Scooby-Doo, and uh, Peppa Pig. and. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're that's Thomas, Thomas the train. <laughs> we go to sleep on it. So I go uh-huh. to sleep on it, wake up on it. Then we go to school. We're trying to keep some normalcy. So we go to school on YouTube. Her name is Monica J. Smith. So that's the kind of stuff I'm binging on. Kind of boring. Love it. Now tell us Mac or Miller for the two of you. <laughs> I'm yes. a Miller too, girl. Oh Miller. my goodness. Oh, my yes. I, I, Crystal, I, you're I, outnumbered. I'm so outnumbered right okay, now. Okay, we okay. have to convert <laughs> Crystal to a Miller. I know. Oh, really? Yes, we do. Yes. The, Lacey and I are both M- Miller girls, and Crystal is hanging on to that Mac for dear life because we're trying to yank oh. her off. Uh-huh. So my favorite is <laughs> the whole world who rescued my life. I know God sent her, Amanda Bilbo. She was a Miller girl, too. I mean, a Mac girl, too. And I thought that because I had so much respect for her, I would, I would always do it. But I just, I, the Miller, it just, I, that was my thing. Just, I love the Miller blade. I do use a Big Mac like a Miller, but I hardly ever use the Mac. I'm a Miller too girl. Woohoo! Uh, oh yeah, Miller too, yeah. all the way. We're keeping score <laughs> over here. All right, ladies. Well, yes, it's about yes. time for us to wrap up. So we want to make sure we send our listeners to Lena's diversity page, which is what again? www.diversityrna.org uh, uh, and we have a diversity and nursing anesthesia Facebook page uh, on Facebook. Yeah. I'm going to join I that. You better accept me. Yes. I have a 
suggestion. <laughs> I think yes, you guys have so much potential with this whole CRNA moms. When all this COVID and, you know, we get back to some kind of normal, I don't know if it's going to be 2021, but I think we need to do some sort Just of doing it. retreat of some yes. sort. Like come together. Literally, and- we were planning one. We've we been were planning, planning one for September <laughs> and, and then COVID, COVID destroyed our plans. Yeah, I had plane yeah. tickets for March 28th yes. to go on my first ever girls trip with CRNA moms. And what? yeah, that never happened. All right. Well, again. Lacey Alan and I COVID. couldn't go. So we Whoa. planned COVID. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we truly did. We were planning for September, a weekend in September. We were going to do a CRNA mom retreat with CE credits and everything. And in comes COVID destroyed that. But it will happen because we love our group and our listeners and just everything about this platform. We honestly have not even met the three of us have never met in person. Yeah. Ever. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Guys of this podcast happening right now, the person I'm going to meet first is going to be Lena. Like how crazy Uh is that? Because she's down the road from me. (laughs) So I'm telling you, we're totally making this happen. And I cannot wait to squeeze all five of you, all four of you. Yes. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And then just, Head over to our Facebook page, Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups, and check us out on Instagram at Hey Smart Mamas. We're also on Twitter at Hey Smart Mamas. And oh, go over to uh, Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups on iTunes podcast and please leave us a review and leave us five stars and we'll love you forever. Yes, forever and ever. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Bye. 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 Bye.